Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to this mothering episode. Sleep. I have no idea what number this is of the mothering series. And I'm tired. Ha ha. The irony of talking about sleep today. I guess is perfect. Having a four month old definitely is reminding me why this is even a topic. And we'll see, we'll see what comes out and what wants to be explored today. Quick update, thanks to all of you out there who have been listening and have responded to our quest for a new home, most likely somewhere outside of this area. Um, I think I've gotten back to everybody, but it's so nice hearing from you, many of you in all areas of the world and offering your two cents about what areas would be good or maybe offering your help. It's really been so supportive, honestly. Um, Yeah, and I knew the support would come. I really, really believed it would, and it has. Although it's funny, it's not really from our local community here. So I have some feelings about that, I think. But, you know, at the same time, this isn't anyone else's life. No one (laughs) is going to, like, provide the magic piece that we need. Uh, No one else is really responsible for that. We are, and we're excited to see what comes. So it's looking like it won't be here in Sedona. I could be wrong. We still have time to figure it out. So I guess anything could happen and something could appear. But truly, without boring anyone to tears, um, the market, the real estate market here, just it is not feasible for a family of our size. And really, I don't know who it's feasible for, but plenty of people that are coming here with a lot of money and willing to pay well and beyond what things are actually worth. So I know that's the case in many areas of the country right now, not just here, but um, yeah, that could be the reason on paper, at least, that we leave. And I know that's not the real reason. I think if we do in fact leave this area, which has been so magical for us for a decade and so many of our children have been born here and all of the great stuff. If we do, I know that it is guided. I know that we are actually being led somewhere. We're not just aimlessly picking a place on the map and forcing it to work out. The opportunities that have arisen already have been really beautiful and have reminded me just how blessed we are, really, you know, to not know where you'll be completely one day and within days to have some ideas coming in already and starting to picture, you know, could we be here? Could we be there? Is really exciting. And I just feel so grateful. I feel so grateful. So even if you didn't send me an email, 
if you were someone that sent us some good wishes and blessings on this big move. Totally appreciate you too. And keep that coming because whether we move near or far, it won't be a small feat really for all of us and the dogs and oh my goodness. So that's honestly probably why I'm tired. I shouldn't blame it on Rumi. Rumi is sleeping like any four month old does, which isn't that great. But really, it's me, I think right now, there's so much on my brain about this all. And it's exciting. If I didn't say here, and I don't think I have on the podcast, but I have on the YouTube, the Midwife Monday Live, which, by the way, has changed time. So go check out the link if you want to join us. Um, It's IndieBirth.org forward slash live. And that's happening Mondays. Um, Anyway, on that event, I did mention that part of the reason I know we're being prompted right now to uproot is because this idea that we've had for a long time of an indie birth like sanctuary for birth or retreat center or whatever you want to call it, um, I believe that is also coming into fruition with this move for us. Which does not surprise me because Indie Birth as a business has always been part of me, is part of me. Um, I'm tangled all up in it. So yeah, when it became clear that we are, were going to look for a new house, um, it also kind of came in for me that perhaps this retreat center would also happen simultaneously. It's something we've been thinking about and talking about for a long time. And unlike a lot of our other projects that just seamlessly flow out, this one has not yet. It's felt hard. And here, I guess I know why now, because really we'd have to have millions. We'd have to have millions of dollars to consider starting that here, even though it's so beautiful. And I'm sure people would love to come here to have their babies. Um, It's not feeling like this is the place anymore. So that's kind of bittersweet. I guess I thought it was the place and it's not, at least at this moment. But again, um, what is coming in is the opportunity for us to relocate and to have this dream possibly as well as a place to live, which I mean, oh my God, that would be amazing. And it would be so great for indie birth and it would be so great for women that want this experience. And it would be so great for our students that would then have a place to come and learn. So really, I can't complain other than being tired. What's in store I know is amazing and fabulous. And just soaking it in. So continuing the updates here, though, on the podcast for those that are interested. And if you have an idea, or like I said, on the Midwife Monday Live, Um, If you happen to have a big piece of property, you know, that's reasonable price wise that you think would make a great retreat center for birth, let us know. Because really, our vision ultimately um, is to maybe have several of these locations. So certainly, I don't think we'll start with that. We'll start with one. But we're always open and willing to hear people and appreciate them, especially uh, when they send us stuff, you know, so... If that's an opportunity you've come across, and I don't know, like I said on the Midwife Monday, maybe you have a grandfather that had a farm and now it's just sitting there, right? And nobody's using it and it's, you know, not terribly expensive and you think a birth retreat center would be awesome in that location. Let us know. You never know. You never, never know. And I think I said this, but 
when I pulled some cards for moving, um, the root, which is like, you know, the root and the solution sort of to the issue was social networking. It was not actually local community. It was social networking. So I'm feeling floored by that because that's certainly what's been pouring in. And I've really had the privilege of looking at all kinds of properties. I mean, not not going there, but like virtually looking uh, listings people are sending. And I'm just so appreciative. My husband, Jason, joked that I don't need a realtor. Who needs a realtor when you have a worldwide global community that supports you? So again, feeling so grateful and thank you all for your help thus far, your support, your well wishes, um, your contacts, all of it. It's just so appreciated and I really, really, truly do feel supported. So on to sleep. I'm tired. Maybe you are too. Oh, children. Like I said, it's not really them. I don't know what's going to come out today. I did not plan this because I just didn't have the brain cells for it. And I figured I'd wing it. And for the mothering episodes in particular, that seems to be the way it goes. Because I really do have so many years to draw on. It's just a matter of what I actually remember. So sleep. Hmm. Let's see. I'm going to drink some juice first. Courtesy of local juicery here in Sedona, uh, which I will miss very much, people and the products. Sleep, sleep, sleep. So let's see, Amelia. Amelia was the first, as many of you know. Amelia was just the easiest baby. Some people really struggle with their first. I know this is true. But Amelia was so easy. I don't remember sleep really being an issue other than what I'll share. So before she was born, I think, we had some friends of my parents, actually. They were having a baby way later in life, so that's interesting. But um, they had a kid maybe a year before Amelia was born. And she, the, the woman of the baby, passed on a book to me at that time about sleep. And let's see, I hope I don't screw it up healthy sleep habits, happy child, or something like that. I can't believe I remember that, honestly. Uh, By Dr. Weissbluff, I want to say. Mark, maybe? I don't know. You'll have to check the Google. I don't even think I'm recommending the book, though, to be honest. She's just, I'm just saying she gave me this book. And I did read it. And gosh, I mean, how do you even communicate with a new parent, much less one that hasn't even had a baby yet, about sleep, right? It's like the reason for this podcast. You kind of can't even talk about it until you're in it. And then when you're in it, it's like you don't even know what words to form around it, except I'm tired. So this book was enlightening, really. I mean, I had never had a baby. And I don't know that I really read too much of it before she was born, But then once she was born, I did read it. And I remember just kind of being a good student. Like back in those days, I didn't really question what I read a lot of the time. It it wasn't like I had any experience to refute whatever he was talking about. And he really was talking about sleep training, which I'm not for nowadays. But back then, I didn't really have an opinion about, to be honest. 
And if I remember correctly, this book really wasn't, um, it wasn't talking about the kind of sleep training where you leave kids or babies screaming and all of that. Like, what is that other stuff? The, who's that one? Um, I can't even remember what I'm talking about. I mean, there's plenty of, plenty of people out there that do support sleep training and, and letting kids cry it out and that whole thing. So correct me if I'm wrong and you've read this book, but I don't remember it feeling that way. And I did take some of the advice with Amelia. She was the kind of kid, though, that I don't think would have cried anyway. She wasn't a really fiery personality. She was very mellow. And my memory of her as a baby and sleep, and yes, she had a crib because it was back then and I didn't know any better. Um, I never heard at that point of co-sleeping or anything like that. So she had a crib and really I remember just putting her in it and she would fall asleep. The way that I remember utilizing that particular book was with naps. I remember him saying in the book that the more a child sleeps, the more they need to sleep. And I don't necessarily think that's wrong, actually. I don't know that it's right, but like, I think he's on to something, really. A rested child often requires more sleep in general. You know, it's like once they fill that gap, then they have to keep filling it. Um, And not every kid. I mean, I think there's so much individuality, but I remember being intrigued by that concept that, oh, like if I make sure she gets her naps, then she'll sleep better at night. Like that's what he's saying. And that was pretty much my experience. But like I said, it may have just been her. What I do remember is being one of those parents that really went to great lengths to get the naps in. Now that's going to sound a little judgy, I'm sure, if you happen to be one of those parents. I just cannot do that anymore. I haven't done that in many, many children, but I did it with my first. So chances are, if you're somebody that really is like ultra fanatical and religious about a child getting naps, no matter what, chances are it's your first baby or maybe your second baby. I think first and second babies get that treatment, but nobody after that usually does, at least in my experience. Um, So I get it, though. I was there and I remember Jason would go off to work. We had a very traditional, like mainstream life at that point. He worked at a bank of all places. And my mom would often come over or, you know, want to go out like we'd maybe go to a store or something. And I remember planning it all around Amelia's naps. And, oh, we have to get home. She has to take a nap or no, we can't go out till she wakes up. So I was very rigid as much as I knew to be around her sleep patterns. And like I said, I don't even know what that equated to. She was already an easy kid. She didn't sleep with us. She slept in a crib. I remember getting up, you know, the normal once or twice a night to nurse her. And my memory is that she did sleep in our bed a little bit, just naturally. I think that probably happens to a lot of people who are up and down, up and down all night. I mean, I don't even know how people do that anymore. 
but I did it with my first and she'd often wind up in bed with us by the early morning. Just so sick of getting up. So I don't know, no co-sleeping. My parents never slept with us. I did not know it was a thing. I did not have any friends with children. I was pretty much one of the first of my friends to have kids and I didn't really know anybody in our area. Sorry, more juice. So that's the story of Amelia. It's really not that exciting. It really wasn't super challenging. It felt pretty easy and intuitive, even though I was kind of following this model. Um, Something I remember about Amelia is that she liked to sleep and we would put her to bed for the night at 6 p.m. We found that's what worked really well for her. She was ready for bed. We would put her to bed at 6 p.m. And it's silly. I always remember that we would run the vacuum when she was in bed, which some first parents would never do because they'd be so afraid to wake up their kid. But we knew it didn't bother her. And we had two dogs at the time in a tiny apartment. And I just like couldn't stand the dog hair. So that would be when I vacuumed every day. And I think it may maybe even contributed to her falling asleep. It kind of became like this ritual. So she would be put to bed at 6 p.m. and she would wake up at 6 a.m. And granted, that wasn't in her early months. That was more towards a year. But yeah, it really wasn't a big deal. So enter the second child (laughs) who could not be put down really anytime. Such a contrast to Amelia. And of course, it's all funny now because Egan is 16 and a half. And of course, he doesn't really bear any resemblance to this baby that he once was. He's a really mellow kid, teenager, super easy, you know, all of those great things. But as a baby, he really was not. And this was a challenge for me because, again, Amelia had sort of been a breeze. Um, you know, by the time he came along, she was, let's see, 22 months. She wasn't even two. She was toilet trained. She was sleeping 12 hours. She was like a little grown up and I'm not taking any credit for it. It's just the way she is. So Egan came along and he was born at home. He was a much bigger baby than her. And he just needed so much more than I was used to. Amelia also, I think I said on the breastfeeding podcast, really didn't nurse that long. She nursed till maybe a year and she just quit. So she was never attached in the same way. And I think a lot of it has to do with personality. I think the other part probably does have to do with birth, sort of sadly. You know, she's the baby that was born in the hospital. Um, She was taken from me at birth for several hours. So Of course, I love her dearly. She's my oldest and, you know, she's my girl. Um, But I, you know, I don't think the attachment was there, frankly, in the same way. And I think that's perfect in the way that things are. But in other words, I had never experienced a home birth until Egan. I had my baby with me always, right? We never left the house. He never left my arms. And he was just different. He wanted to nurse every 15 minutes for the first bunch of years, and I could not put him down. So I finally understood, I guess, how people get so exhausted and so frustrated. And if you can't put a baby down, you know, you can hardly use the bathroom 
much less sleep. So that was very challenging. I didn't have a baby carrier of any kind with Amelia. Again, didn't really even come into my mind. But with Egan, I did. I discovered a pouch sling when he was only a couple of weeks old, just out of necessity, because I could not put this kid down. And I'd put him down on my bed to sleep if he was asleep, and he'd wake right up. So it was exhausting. It was so exhausting that I remember starting with a new chiropractor there in Chicago who does the network technique. And funny, that's also what my current chiropractor practices. There's not that many people really in the world that do it. Um, And it's a very light touch. And they do kind of energetic and emotional work as well. So I remember this old chiropractor adjusting me and saying, wow, your adrenals are shot. And I was into natural health, but not that much. And it was kind of like a big awakening to be like, oh, yes, my body is not handling this so well. And me being chronically tired is understandable. Like it's actually not being well, you know, when you're that tired and your adrenals are that shot, it's a sign that you need to take care of yourself better. So um, I did that to the best of my ability and Egan, for the record, always slept with us. We never had a crib for him. And I really credit the home birth with that, of course, and my midwife at the time. She's the one that probably taught me about co-sleeping. I really didn't know what that was. But at the same time, there was no other way it could have been with this baby because he was not going to sleep anywhere else. And I think that's a normal response, really. That's been my experience with almost all of them since. I don't feel shocked by it. I don't, I don't think it's probably that normal to have a baby you can put down a ton, although I'll get into it. So Egan taught me a lot and he just slept with us and he nursed all the time. And this is really cute, I think. We had just two bedrooms in our apartment in Chicago And so Amelia had her own room at the age of two, which is kind of funny and probably why she still has her own room at the age of 18 and a half, um, because she's always had her own room. The other kids never, ever have. And the other room was ours. And we moved another giant like queen size bed into our bedroom. Now, the room was not that big. So honestly, it was wall to wall bed. It was a family bedroom. And... For a while, at least, I slept in one bed with Egan and Jason slept in the other bed in the same room with Amelia. So that felt really good. And I know a lot of parents who have similar stories that understand that. In other words, you know, the first baby, you just don't know what the hell you're doing and you make stupid choices like cribs and sleep training. And then you try to rein it in and do your best to redo it with a two-year-old, you know, and I think that's really cool and beautiful. And I'm glad I got the memo at some point. So Amelia didn't have that benefit of co-sleeping when she was little, but starting at two, she did. And um, yeah, she does have her own room now because she's so old, like I said, but through the years, yes, has, has shared a room actually in some of our some of our places with Egan and other kids, Um, although she's still probably the only kid that has as much experience sleeping alone, because really all of the other kids have never slept alone, like never. So if it's not us, it's a sibling. 
So those first two were our betas. Uh, they were our test subjects. And I think that's just the way parenting goes a lot of the time. So don't beat yourself up, you know, even if you don't have as many kids, you're just doing the best you can. And you can always try to make amends later, even if it's not exactly what you hoped it would have been or, you know, whatever. So we kind of went back and redid that with her. So, um, yeah, Egan nursed until he was four. I think I've shared that. And he always slept with us. In fact, we have this really cute video right before Tallulah was born. So he was, you know, two. Um, And he had this really cute lisp and way of talking when he was little. And yeah, the video is just him saying that he's going to nurse now because that's how I would put him to bed. So that's another difference. Amelia just got put in her bed. She went to sleep and Egan needed to be nursed to sleep. And I remember so vividly laying there with a huge belly you know, weeks before Tallulah was born and nursing him to sleep and contracting, you know, just getting so many tight contractions because of the nursing and kind of laying there with him and falling asleep and then having to get up. I think so many moms relate with that, the nursing to sleep and then falling asleep with them and then being all disoriented and all of that crazy stuff. So yeah, that was him. I would put him to bed in our bed and the bed was just kind of on the floor. That's another thing I think a lot of co-sleeping families end up doing uh, so the kids don't roll out and fall on the floor especially if you're not there well they can still fall on the floor but it's not going to be far yeah and then we just go about our evening probably for a couple of hours and then join him in our bed so that all felt much more natural to me though and the more kids I've had I kind of can't imagine doing it another way sleeping without them even though it's so different than the way I was raised and Jason too. And I often reflect on sort of how much it might mess a kid up to not sleep with their parents. So everybody should do them though. I'm not as much speaking to anyone listening as I am to my own experience as a child. I think if my parents had slept with me, I don't even know what that would have felt like. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know in this life what that's like, but my imagination tells me that it would have been so comforting and bedtime, you know, for my kids is not scary. They're not afraid of the dark, like all of these things that are sort of a normal part, they say, of childhood and sleep. I feel like I wouldn't have experienced them and that would have been cool, but that wasn't my path. So Um, you know, it feels good to have chose, chosen more consciously for our kids, because I do see how it affects them in the positive light, you know, how they feel so um, comforted and also safe to sleep with a parent or a sibling or both, and then how they gradually grow out of that. So with Egan, he nursed all the time, he slept with us, it was completely different. And I remember fielding comments from friends and family about all of that, you know, like how weird it was and why did he nurse till he was four? And man, I mean, it just helps create such a confident person. So I had my moments too when he was younger wondering, like, is this the right thing? You know, can you spoil a child by sleeping with them and always being kind of at their disposal? And my answer is no, you cannot spoil them. And that's just some weird shit that our culture teaches us to keep us separate 
from these little beings we make because then they end up just as, you know, out of touch as we potentially have been or are. And, you know, the cycle continues of trauma and disconnection. So that was Egan. And then I don't know that there's too much to report about the rest of them after that, because we did the same thing. They all slept with us until the next baby came and then they'd usually still sleep with us. So usually, you know, two adults, a toddler and a newborn in the same bed, usually a king size bed uh, with a few modifications here and there. Like I can think of when Tallulah was, um, you know, two and a half, I guess, Rune was born. Or actually, let me think. Yeah, she was about two and a half. Um, She was one of the oldest ones to welcome a new sibling. And in that house and in that bedroom, she had a little sidecar bed. I remember it was a cute little plastic car. We called it the car bed. And she was happy to sleep in that because she was still right next to us and she was in our room. And when baby Rune came along, he joined us in the bed and she was fine in the little sidecar. So we've had some modifications, but mostly two kids at any given time in the bedroom. And of course, jumping to now, we have Rumi in our bed. And then in the same room, we have another bed and Deva, Cove, and Ever, all the three little girls sleep there together. So it's definitely kind of switched over the years. Um, Let's see. So the nursing to sleep is something that I don't remember how conscious this was. Like, I don't know that I said to myself, I don't want to do that. But I did notice the obvious, um, which is that that's a hard way to encourage sleep sometimes. And it's the natural way, to be honest. I mean, if Rumi is, you know, during the day, if he's on me and he's nursing and he falls asleep, yeah, sure, that's what they do. But at night, I have tried harder with subsequent children to not get into that habit. Like they have to have a boob to go to sleep. And I don't remember when I happened upon wanting to change that. Um, It may have been in conjunction with birth work kind of stuff and feeling like, you know, I need a kid to be able to go to sleep, just go to sleep with your dad next to you or both of us next to you. um, Because, you know, I might not be here. That may have been where it came from. But ultimately, that's something I felt really good about. My kids, when they are breastfeeding, they can nurse all day if they want. I don't have any limits around it. I don't have any limits around night nursing either until a certain age. And um, yeah, so I'm all for breastfeeding, obviously, is what I'm saying. But nursing to sleep is something that can just start to feel really stressful and can make you resent nursing and sleeping and all the things. So I have gone to trouble to try to make that not the case. Um, I remember Tallulah nursing to sleep and then probably after that, probably with Rune, and that makes sense because that's also when I started practicing as a midwife, I got into the habit of laying a kid down when they weren't asleep to go to sleep without a boob. And I don't know if I can really give a tutorial on that, I don't think everyone has to do that, obviously, but if you're feeling drawn to that and it's not your first baby 
And I only say that because I, I feel like people with their first babies are maybe aren't as willing to experiment and whatever, like you need to just learn. You just need to learn how to parent first. Um, but if it's wearing on you, if it's wearing on you to have to nurse a kid to sleep a million times a day and you're laying there all day and you're laying there all night or it feels like it, then I've always felt like something needs to shift, you know, because sleep is good. Sleep is fine. We're trying to teach our children that sleep isn't anything to be feared and it's not like a punishment and it's not supposed to be unhappy or negative. It's actually supposed to be great and feel good. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, kids saying like just an hour ago, um, Cove was walking around with her little blankie and she's telling me I'm sleepy, I'm sleepy. And, you know, she's not going to go to bed on her own. Probably she's just going to kind of sit there and maybe she'll fall asleep. That's a whole other topic. Um, But anyway, I mean, I think if we get all tense around sleeping and it becomes this like thing we're gripping and it needs to happen at a certain time and we're putting it on our apps and all this stuff that I think is a little extreme, then our kids feel it. And sleeping isn't really a fun, relaxed thing. It's like a competition. It's this thing our parents need us to do so they can like get back to their lives. So I think we need to, yeah, probably check our own beliefs about it all and maybe deal with our own childhood stuff if we have any. But um, back to the nursing to sleep. So yeah, learning to put a baby down, even a tiny baby, even a newborn to sleep uh, without a breast. And I'm not advocating crying or crying it out. Like I do not do that. If Rumi cries, he gets picked up. Um, You know, unless I'm in the middle of something. And then he cries for a minute, and he gets picked up. So I'm not advocating putting a kid down to cry. What I am saying is when a baby is in like a sleepy state, so maybe they have nursed or whatever, but then you take them off the breast, they're kind of sleepy, but not asleep. And you develop a routine where they are put down and they like that. And I don't think I'm just lucky. You know, I know I have a lot of children, so I am speaking from experience, but this is something that has worked for all of them past the first three who I didn't try it on. So, you know, what's 10 minus three, seven children that we have done that same thing with. So it's nap time. Okay. You want some milk first? Sure. Then we're going to put you down. And they have almost all gotten put down, you know, on our bed, if it has rails, um, or before they are able to move around a lot, or just in a pack and play. So like a little, you know, like those little cribby things that we set up in the bedroom and they get used to it. So for a lot of them, we've put music on and just had the music playing while they went to sleep. They might have a special blanket. Deva and Cove definitely do and just put them down. And sometimes you got to pat their butts a little bit or, you know, whatever you kind of develop to help them drift off that last little bit. Some babies don't even need that once they are in this routine. They're happy to be put down. I know that sounds crazy, but I have felt like with all of my kids, when they're at that stage, um, they kind of want you to leave them alone. It's like, leave me alone now. I'm going to sleep. And it's not a sad or traumatic thing. And when they're a little bit older and you're doing that, of course, they can communicate and, you know, they'll wave to you. Bye. See you later. Time for a nap. They lay down, shut the door. Okay. Good night. Um, So if that sounds crazy to you, know that 
it is possible. And if it's something that would make your life feel better to not have a screaming kid that you're always trying to wrestle to sleep, know that it's possible. Um, I'm trying to think of what else along those lines. Yeah, even newborns. I mean, newborn is actually the stage at which I think that gets, um, you know, gets to be part of the routine. I think if you start doing that all of a sudden out of the blue with an eight month old that you've been nursing to sleep every day, three times a day. Yeah, that might be a little challenging. And I don't know that I have any words of wisdom there. But with a newborn, as early as you can, um, yes, it's nice to hold your baby when they're sleeping. You know, I soak up those newborn times too. And there have been many, many times where I chose to just sit here and hold Rumi. And you know what? Once in a while, it doesn't work. Once in a great while, he doesn't want me to put him down in the, in the little crib. And he doesn't like it. So I'll hold him and he'll take his nap in my arms. So it's not 100%, but I'd say it's like 98% of the time that when he's ready, um, you know, we put him down and he goes to sleep. And this is funny. If you don't know, if you haven't seen our Instagram, because sometimes I post these funny little videos of Rumi sleeping in his pack and play in the middle of our living room. Yeah. And dogs are barking and music's playing and kids are screaming and people are cooking And we just put him down still at four months old on his belly. And he might like kind of rustle around for a few minutes. He doesn't cry and just go to sleep. So that's a godsend. And I'm very um, grateful that I figured that out, (laughs) that Jason and I together figured that out. Because, yeah, it's totally exhausting to hold a baby for naps um, or to have to lay down with them. You know, unless you just make that part of your ritual and, and your life and that's fine with you. But I can think of a friend years ago who got in the habit of holding her daughter, I think, to sleep first baby from a very early age. So never, ever put the baby down and was still holding this kid for naps at like three years old. Like that was the only way the kid could sleep. So that's a little extreme, but that does not sound fun to me at all. (laughs) Not because I have things to do. I mean, I do. But I think sleep should be restful. And I just can't imagine that it's super restful for a kid even when they're constantly, you know, sleeping on someone's shoulder. So that is my number one uh, pro tip there is to learn how to put your baby down, make your peace with whatever you think that means. Again, I'm not advocating a screaming child, so don't think I am. Peaceful, peaceful sleep with a child doing their sleeping at nap times in a way that allows them to rest and allows you to, you know, put them down, get some space, um, take a shower, you know, whatever, because it's much, much needed. And babies sleep multiple times, as we all know, throughout the day. You know, they take two naps. Rumi takes two naps at least. And yeah, we, we all need a break and he does too. And it's amazing how well he can sleep, especially on his belly. Now, that's another pro tip. You know, I don't know, this back to sleep campaign thing that they came up with many years ago to prevent SIDS. Uh, You know, do your research, I guess, or feel into your intuition as a parent. But my kids have all preferred their bellies to sleep, especially as newborns. And then if they get used to it as newborns sleeping on their belly, then they want to continue. It's a much more safe feeling than having everything exposed 
when a baby's on their back and they're going to startle at everything. So, um, yeah, I would highly recommend experimenting with that and not being afraid to do it if it feels right. And you've thought you can't for some reason, because it can really change the whole game. And with 10 children, every time I learned that again. So Rumi at first was sleeping on his back when he was born and he was liking to be swaddled. So some of my kids have, some haven't. And I always try it or I have with the last few because they've, they've liked it. And so Deva and Cove like to be swaddled and they'd sleep that way, kind of on their backs. But Rumi, he did for a while. And then it was like this breaking point of, you know, he wasn't liking it and I didn't know what to do. And then Jason, genius, uh, one night when he was kind of fussing, he flipped Rumi on his belly and he went to sleep. And I was like, oh, right. (laughs) I forgot. Babies like their bellies. So and then he actually slept. So how do our nights look right now? Hmm. Interesting question. Oh, let me back up and say how some of them, some of the nights used to look with some of the kids. So they're not nursing to sleep, even if they're like two or three or whatever. And so the way we've handled that is Jason would put them to bed. So it eliminated the boob from the conversation. And with many of them, so Belgium, true, I think those two in particular, I can remember, he put them to bed at night. So, you know, whatever, seven o'clock. And true was another one that would say, please, can I go to bed now? He would start asking at dinner time when he was little, he was three or four, please, can we go to bed now, please. And so Jason would just bring him in there and just lay there for a few minutes and he'd pass out. True would, that is. (laughs) The funny thing about true he's a unique kid, as they all are. Um, He used to like to bring things to bed with him. And I think that's such a funny memory that I might not remember someday, unless I listen to this. So we have memories of him bringing like mangoes to bed. And I know that sounds really weird. But like, he'd gather food, mostly, to bring to bed. And it made more sense at the time. It sounds like really weird now. But I don't know. He's just a kid that was into food and probably as the sixth kid was afraid he would miss something is my guess. And so he would ask to bring these like food items to bed with him and would just lay them next to him on his pillow. And then I think maybe he wanted to eat them when he got up in the morning. So that's a silly memory. But yeah, those um, those kids love to be put to bed with Jason. And then we would have a couple of hours, you know, without, without a baby, without the youngest kids around, or no, I probably had a baby, but Jason would put like the second, second youngest kids to bed and the baby would stay up because, you know, can't really put a baby to bed. That's my experience. So that all changed with ever. So ever's after true, but ever never got put to bed as like a toddler. And I don't know why, except she's just very mature and she's kind of like a a 30-year-old in a 7-year-old's body and at that time, you know, it was only 3 or 4 and my guess is it just didn't work or it didn't feel right or, you know, she wasn't begging to go to bed. So, it kind of stopped with true Jason putting the second youngest to bed. Um and so since ever, you know, we've had ever diva Cove, none of those kids have ever gotten put to bed ahead of 
when we go to bed. So that flows into what we actually do now, which is um, after dinner, we, meaning me and the three little girls that sleep in this room and Rumi, we all come over here to our bedroom. So we have a a bedroom outside of the house, which sounds weird. It's kind of like in a little guest house at the moment. I don't think it's going to stay that way for all the reasons cited, but right now that's the way it is. And so after dinner, Cove and Deva are very excited to gather their blankets in the house and come over here. And usually some of the older kids kind of come over, they hold the baby, they just hang out for a little bit and we get ready for bed. (sighs) And that feels so good. Although getting ready with Deva and Cove is not very relaxing because I'm trying to like do my teeth and, you know, the couple of things and they want to brush their teeth and they want to wash their face and they're climbing all over and it's a little crazy. And they're also tired, of course, because they don't take naps. That's another topic. Um, Cove has not taken a nap for a long time and she's only two and Deva probably the same. So they kind of struggle, to be honest the second half of the day and they're pretty damn tired by the time night comes around so we do that and Rumi has just been like laying here talking to an older kid or you know just laying here on the bed and kind of waits for us and we all get ready together and Jason usually comes over once he's done like cleaning up in there or whatever and we usually just watch a show all of us so has to be sort of a not kid friendly, but you know, not really an adult sort of show here. And we just sit on the bed and roomy nurses and we watch the show 20 minutes, half an hour and we go to bed and Cove slept with us up until, you know, literally the day roomy was born. And I wasn't quite sure how she would transition to sleeping with those sisters, but she took it like a pro. She didn't cry at all. She seemed to understand. And so, yeah, it's really nice. Um, Oh, I take that back. The the couple of nights after Rumi was born, Jason slept with her in the bed. And and I think one of the girls went with the older girls. So that was her transition was a couple of nights of Jason sleeping in the other bed with her. And then her understanding like, oh, okay, this is my new bed. My sisters are here. My parents are literally two feet away. And I get it. So that's what we do. Um, The girls, Deva, Deva, Deva's the baby, really, of the two, Kova and Dave, Deva, Kova and Dave. Oh, my gosh, I can't speak. Cove and Deva. Deva's older, but she kind of acts more, um, yeah, she acts younger. And she requires more sleep than her younger sister. So when we come in to watch the show, um, Deva's routine is to brush her teeth and to pee And then she gets under the covers in my bed and she passes out within five minutes. So Jason always has to move her over to her bed and then Cove crawls in next to her and goes to sleep. And then Ever, Ever sleeps in here, I'd say like 75% of the time with her two sisters. But the other 25, she sleeps in the house with Tallulah, who's 14. And That's an interesting topic as far as like sleep and control of sleep. Um, I know some parents are like very firm on bedtimes and that sort of thing. And I am not because I really can't be with this many children. Plus our room isn't even in the house anymore. 
So it really does require me to trust that they are getting the sleep they need. You know, the older kids, I mean, for the most part, the younger kids are right here with us. So I know the sleep they're getting and they're getting about 12 hours. We usually go to bed around eight, all of us here in this room, Jason included. And then, you know, Jason gets up really early at like four, but I usually am in here till at least six or seven, you know, doing the back and forth nursing. I mean, he's nursing so much at night and the girls usually wake up and then we all go over the house together. Uh, they don't like to be left here, so I don't really do that, and it's not necessary. Most of the time, they're up before me anyway. This morning, I left Rumi in here sleeping, but I put the little baby monitor on so we could hear him. <sighs> so, yeah, um, what was I going to talk about? Oh, sleep and, like, bedtimes and control, yeah. So, yeah, we have a solid bedtime. There's no question about that. Um, before we moved into this room, before Rumi was born, True was also sleeping with us. So we had a lot of children in our very tiny bedroom. We had the three girls and we had True. And he also is young for his age, I think. And he needs that sleep or needed that sleep. So he was also sleeping, you know, 10, 12 hours. But now he's a bigger kid and he moved into our old bedroom with his brother, Rune, who's older than him. And they stay up, I'm sure, way too late, as do all of the kids. Um, I've told him, true, that he really needs to go to bed by 10. And I think he does, for the most part. So I really am a believer in letting kids deal with themselves rather than policing them, only because I've tried the policing and it doesn't really work. And I want them to discover what it feels like to need to go to bed. And I'm fine with them discovering how it feels to be tired when you stay up too late. I think all of those are really great lessons. And that's something they'll have to work out for themselves. So Ever, as I mentioned, sleeps in here most of the nights, but then sometimes sleeps with Tallulah. And sometimes she gets on like a roll. So I, I mentioned she's kind of an older person in a younger person's body. So she hangs out with either Amelia, who's 18, <laughs> Ever 7, or Tallulah. And I don't know, they watch shows, they just are girls together, she rubs their backs. That's how she gets her, her way into their space. She offers to rub them with her tiny little hands that they love. Kind of funny. But I think that's adorable. And I think this is what sibling bonding is, you know, like, I'm not a sibling, I'm the mother. And so I want them to be close and I want them to hang out together. And if that means staying up late, I feel like whatever. Um, you know, we don't do school in the formal way. No one has to get up really at a certain time. So I think the freedom is great. And, you know, if it ever felt like it really wasn't working or whatever, then I would try to make some changes with them. But Ever in particular is really headstrong. Her middle name is Wild, and she definitely is. So for a little bit there, we were trying to control more where she was sleeping because, you know, if she was sleeping in the house with one of the bigger girls, she was staying up too late. And if that was happening four or five nights in a row, she was breaking down during the day because she's seven. And I think we all know what a tired child presents like. <laughs> I mean, it is not pretty. And... I feel like it's such a look 
Like it's such a feel, you know, when they freak out about something or who knows, you know, something about food or whatever. It's like, no, you are tired. That is what is happening here. You are feeling tired. This is what feeling tired looks like. This is what feeling tired feels like. So yeah, for a while, um, I felt like, okay, this is not working. And I told Ever, no, you cannot sleep in there anymore. You need to sleep two nights here at least before you go back to that. And she took it really hard, really, really hard and was crying and, you know, kind of like throwing a little fit, which honestly just makes going to bed even harder for all of us because she was making a scene on purpose probably so that I would do the obvious thing, right? Like, okay, whatever, just go in the house then. But, um, you know, that's eventually what I did anyway. And I'm not proud of that or not proud of that. I'm not saying that's how you should parent. I think all of these kids are so different. And I try to catch myself in the need for control. You know, it's you have to balance their health and wellness, of course, against your need for control. And I realized if I let her self-regulate this, ultimately it's way better. And it's not to say it would be for every child, but once she felt what it was like to be overtired and crabby, um, she's tempered that. So she'll sleep in here when she feels tired and she'll go with the girls if she doesn't or if she gets invited to be with them, which is a really big deal. If she gets invited by Tallulah to sleep there, she is 100% going to take it. Um, Other nights, she might hang out with them a little bit and then come in here when we're already sleeping. So those are some strange variations on sleep and rhythms in our house. Um, But it's it's working for us, you know, Um, for the most part. I feel like we're getting the rest we mostly need other than a nursing baby all night, which there really isn't too much to say about that. Right. I mean, he nurses a lot during the night. And yeah, all of the little kids getting pretty good rest because they really don't do naps. And the older kids, you know, I think they should just do what they feel. And again, I think that's part of their development, even the way older kids, you know, Amelia and Egan, they stay up way too late. It's true. They totally do. And to me, that's so not comfortable. So I'll stay up late for a birth, but I have never in my life been a night person. Never. I'm not into, and even when I was a teenager, like night parties, night, no, uh, uh-uh. nope, I need my sleep. And I don't feel like that's fun. <laughs> um, even when I was a musician, you know, we would get done working essentially at 10. And that was a really rough schedule, which is maybe why I don't do that anymore, because that was a pretty... Um, typical, you know, schedule every weekend, every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, concert starts at eight, done at 10. And then you go home and you can't possibly sleep or you might go out with other people. So no, if I have my choice, I will happily be in bed at eight and happily wake up early. I much prefer the mornings for whatever I want to do, hiking and working out. And, you know, I really enjoy the mornings. But my point is, this isn't really about me. My point is, I think each kid needs to figure out what their own rhythms are. And that's not to say it's all, you know, going to just be seamless. Um, Amelia 
you know, has been struggling with going to bed too late. Like she's in that rhythm now and it's really hard for her to get out of. And I think she feels it isn't good rest. So I could be wrong, but I don't think going to bed at 2 a.m. really allows your body the right rest when you're kind of messing up your circadian rhythm. And I've tried explaining this to her, even with her cycle and, you know, other things like your body needs sleep and your body is programmed pretty much to sleep when it's dark and to be up when it's light. And if you want to start messing with that, you know, at your own risk, Um, it might affect your immune system. It might affect just overall how you feel, you know, and I think, again, these are all lessons that older kids need to figure out. And yeah, I kind of enjoy watching them do that, too, because you know, I don't think it's anything crazy or dangerous. It's just them figuring out what their bodies need. And certainly bodies need different things. So I don't know that everybody does need the same amount of sleep. Um, growing, for example, you know, Rune is growing for sure. He's 12 and he can easily sleep 14 hours. And I think that's great, you know, and I try to, I try to remind him and not make him feel bad for it. Like, that's great. Sleep all day if you, if you need to because your body is growing and that takes a lot of energy um, from your cells. So make sure you're eating well and rest if you need to. Um, And yeah, just rest in general, which isn't really part of sleep podcast, but just encouraging children to listen to their bodies and rest when they need to. Uh, Rune in particular can get really overdone, for lack of a better term. So he loves to skate, he loves to scooter. And they skate, I mean, they, they can skate eight hours in a day, believe it or not. I can't imagine, right? So he does that most of the week, maybe not quite eight hours every day, but, you know, four to six hours every day. And I feel like he's had to learn that sometimes at the end of a four or five day run, uh, he needs to chill out. You know, he needs to rest. He needs to stay home and not do that because the body does require rest and sleep, uh, as we well know. So I think that's all I've got to say today because I am really tired and that's the extent that my brain wants to take it to today. But questions always welcome, comments always welcome. Marin at IndieBirth.org is a great place to reach me. Um, I'm starting a new podcast with my friend Nathan, so be looking for that probably in the next couple of weeks. Um, It'll be out there as a separate podcast, so not not undertaking back birth. It'll be a new project. And yeah, join us for Midwife Mondays on Monday, indiebirth.org forward slash live. I'd love to see you there. Those are definitely fun and more focused on midwifery and clinical things and apprenticeship and all that good stuff. So thanks for listening. Have a great weekend.